from Westside Church in Bend, Oregon. You're listening to Behind the Message. Each week we take you behind what we teach here at Westside. I'm Ben Fleming. And I'm Evan Erwicker. And uh, this week we have a special guest with us from Beaverton, Oregon, Pastor Keith Jenkins. Welcome, Keith. Hey, it's good to be here with you guys, man. Thanks for hanging out. So, Keith, you you spent many years in Eugene pastoring, uh, most recently in Los Angeles. Yeah, we were 13 years in Eugene, and then... um we resigned that church and were, was appointed to the district that oversaw Greater Los Angeles for a number of years. Figured out God wanted us to be back in the local church, man. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. And and you've been back in Beaverton at Beaverton Foursquare how long now? Yeah, we moved back in May. Okay. So we were in L.A. probably about close to 10 years. Okay, yeah, that's yeah. great. I want to talk about the message from this morning uh, that you gave. Uh, talking about expanding our neighborhood and we become in Christ, part of the kingdom, not part of the neighborhood that maybe we were born into, the perspective that we were born into, and uh, a message that's really challenging, I think, to majority white, I mean, very white congregation, who I think a lot of us don't ever have to step outside of our perspective or the neighborhood we grew up in. Yeah, and I think, you know, wow. So, like, I so did not desire to be the guy to carry this message, right? So this was not what I wanted to do, but I was sitting in my office in Los Angeles, um, when Michael Brown, when the Michael Brown thing went off in Ferguson, mm-hmm. and um, I was praying and asking the Lord, "What do I do?" Because there was a riot, literally, um, maybe 16 blocks near USC's campus, happening at the same time. I'm praying. I'm watching it on the news at my desk, saying, "God, h- how do I? What do I do?" And um, one of the LAPD guys that's on, in my church, a lieutenant, was in charge of the command center there. And he called me. He says, you need to come down here and provide leadership before this mob um, incites a riot. Like, you got to come. And so I went down, and I just walked with people. And the funny thing that got me is there were white people. There was black. There were Asian. There yeah. was all of these people that were marching in solidarity and saying, look, from all the different faith perspectives, from all the different ideologies and agendas, they were saying, this has got to stop. Like, this can't be our country. And so it really sent me on a journey. And, you know, our president has asked me at different times to speak into or at least edit some of his remarks so that he could speak to our denomination. And so it's just been a real um, ministry. It's been new and unique, but I think it's necessary. One of your members even said to me today, thank you so much for coming and speaking directly to something that is impacting us every day. So. Um, I think we've shied away from the conversation for too long. Um, for me, as a black man, I think the white evangelical church is late to the party and yeah. has lost credibility yeah. in a lot of ways, have clung to political parties and that type of thing, and have lost their ground and footing in the gospel, yeah. right? So when we start enslaving the gospel to a particular earthly human ideology, then we're we're really in trouble, and that's where we've been. So, what's yeah. it been like for you, Keith? You you find yourself. I was kind of doing the math as you were talking about a lot of the different experiences that you had this morning when yeah. you were teaching. You've been in L.A. and you lived <laughs> on the East Coast, and you've been in the Marines, yeah. and you've you've ministered. You're in the church, and now you're in a primarily white church. Yeah. In and you've spent time in smaller towns like Ben, and you find yourself in a lot of these different things that actually find themselves at opposition with each other with the social and political climate that we live in right now. What are you seeing? Uh, maybe that is surprising you the most, or what are you experiencing on the day-to-day? I think for me, my own experience surprised me first and foremost that you're right. My father, I didn't have a great relationship with my father growing up, but he said something to me when I was a little boy. He said, if I could hope anything for you, I would hope that you could walk with all men. 
Mm-hmm. And it just stuck with me. And it, he didn't know that. And we didn't have any such thing as prof- prophecy or prophetic words in yeah. our family circle. But that's literally what that was yeah. because that's been my journey. Um, what I'm finding is, is that people are polarized and afraid to engage in conversations for the most part. We have to, you know, in, inevitably, we have to deal with the pink elephant in the middle of the room. Race is in the middle of the room. Our our conflicting political parties is in, in in the middle of the room, and it's okay if we disagree. It's okay that we don't that yeah. we don't all come from the same place. What what is really I think troubling my heart is that we castigate, demonize people who don't believe what we believe, right. don't come from our perspective, and then we reinforce our narrative. By having an in-group that's just like us, that feeds on the same material we feed on, and we don't make room for other experiences, we think, in some regards, that our only experience, or our experience, is the sum total. That's all there is. That's the truth. And um, I've just tried, man, to be honest with you, I tried to stay more curious than convinced. Hmm. I want to be curious. Talk to me. What, what is it like to be transgender? Yeah. What, what does it mean? What What are you trying to say when you say make America great? Because from an African-American perspective, it's been good, but I don't know that it's ever been great here. Yeah. We've had some progress and we've got some things that are different, civil rights movement, that type of thing. But I'm not sure the African-American experience in America would say it's been great and we're going to make it great again. We don't want it to be like it was before. So it's all of these pink elephants and experiences, like we said – Got to get out of your neighborhood, or at least as the church, right? Right. Those of us that are Christians, we're called to have an expansive definition of what neighbor and neighborhood is mm-hmm. in the kingdom of God that envelops all of this with the love of God. So yeah. that's been the challenge for me. What What should white pastors like us? What should we be saying? Because I know we've we've wrestled with this, having no expertise in race relations or issues. We've stopped conversations on the podcast being like, we don't know what we are talking about. So how do we lead well in this climate? You know, I tell all of my friends, especially my white friends, it's like, like you can't, like they would call me, something would happen, something else, there'd be a police shooting or something would happen. And my white pastors were my friends. These are friends, but like text me and be like, bro, I'm sorry. And send me all these texts. And I finally got to the point. It was like, you know what? I don't care that you're sorry anymore. Like, you've got to stand up and say something, even if you're afraid, even if your congregation is not touched intimately by these issues in your community. Because a lot of times it's difficult to have compassion when you don't have proximity. Right. Right. So when you don't see it, when it's not a part of your narrative or your daily routine, you're watching it on the news. It's just you just click it and keep going. Um, And so for me, I've told, you know, all of my friends, just be humble. Admit what you don't know. Speak to what you do know. We do know the gospel. We, we do know that it is inclusive. We do know that we have a narrow field that is approaching exclusion in America. And so speak to it at least, mm-hmm. at least humbly admit, I know that I have blind spots. I'm willing to admit that. But at the same time, here's what I do know about the gospel. Here's mm-hmm. what I do know about Jesus. And proclaim what we do know loudly. Yeah, you know, And we do know the ugly side. I mean, we, we uh, hear from people who you know, are loud and proud about things that they don't even realize are prejudice. And sometimes I think our tendency is just to let it ride because, you know, other yeah. places are dealing with it more visibly and yeah. viscerally. But here it just kind of, you know, yeah. it's under the surface and so we let it go. And yeah. maybe that's that's what we need to come to grips with in a place like this. You know, I visited Africa for the first time um, back in the 90s. And um, I had always heard that Africans were um, adversarial with African-Americans. We had heard that they don't like us. 
And so a few of us went with that mindset thinking they don't like us. You know, we're from different parts of the world, that type of thing. And I remember in the marketplace seeing an old man behind the, the sort of the fruit and stuff. And he had a chessboard. And I said, oh, man, I play chess. He plays chess. This is one of those moments, right? So I sat down and we played chess and he kicked my tail repeatedly, <laughs> like in, in just a few moves, right? And then I got a chance. I, I saw there was an opening, and I asked him. I said, hey, so what is this about the adversarial nature between that, that I hear that, that Africans don't particularly care for African-Americans? And I'll never forget it. He had the most pained look on his face and confused. And he said, you know, you're one of us. We are your brothers. And he said, if there's some of us that are angry or upset, it is because you don't come and see about us. Hmm. And that changed everything for me. And I think that's the same thing for churches and people that live in other communities, right? It, I drove over here, like three hours from Portland. Like, you could partner with a church in southeast Portland that's being gentrified. You guys could literally, on a Saturday, drive over and right. drive back, you know, right, and, and right. build that relationship. Although you don't live there, your presence just showing up to people who feel forgotten, left, or labeled or distinct and put in a category would be cataclysmic. And it's the same thing when you go on mission trips and you see kids in orphanages and all you do is look at them right. and they see, and, and they've been seen and they start acting out just like every other little kid does. They start showing off and it's the same thing. Everybody wants to feel like they're seen, they're heard, they're valid, they're valuable. And so sometimes when you're in communities that aren't plagued with some of these things, Having a partner, somebody to partner with when you don't have proximity can get your people involved. And you know, like I know, when people go on mission trips, they're forever changed. Right. We need to take some mission trips in America to some cities and get our people acquainted with people who have a different narrative. And it'll change them the same way that being on the mission field changes us when we come back from other nations. I think one of the more dangerous things that I've seen from the church, and I grew up in an 800-person small southern Oregon town, you know, there's more sheep than there are people kind of a thing. Um, and the scariest thing that I've heard from different people when I go home, and, and nobody that, at least not that I am aware of when I grew up, you know, were outwardly racist. Right. You know, they weren't trying to you know, kill black people or anything like that. But there was – but what I've noticed now that I've gone back, especially now that the political climate is the way that it is, and it's the thing that scares me the most about – especially about myself or about our culture is just that it, it's – it's passive. It's that mm. this isn't really our problem or, or it's even the question of, well, yeah. you know, I'm not a racist and yeah. I don't think racism exists. You know, what are these people talking? Why can't they just be happy? Why can't they just, that is the thing that scares yeah. me the most about, I'll just say it for myself. The, the guy that grew up in a small town, that's a white evangelical Christian. It's yeah. that, it's not that, um, it's just that we don't even care to try yeah. to put ourselves in the other person's shoes. And, and then, like you said, the solutions we offer from a distance seem very simplistic. And they really are insulting for people that are up close. So everything seems simple from a distance until you get into the weeds with people and you start realizing. So, like, for instance, a friend of mine, a, a guy said to me, he says, I don't understand why, you know, all these black guys are kneeling, disrespecting the flag. And I said, you know what, man, I'm a, I'm a military guy. My dad was military, two tours in Vietnam. My brother was in Afghanistan. We all had people come home draped with coffin, you know, coffins draped with flags. So we have an esteem for the flag. I don't like that protest. I don't like the form of it. But, but the second question you have to ask is what's the substance? Right. Do we have a black male problem? And so this, this becomes, you know, Cain asks sort of the Lord a sarcastic question when, he, when God inquires about Abel. And he says, am I my brother's keeper? 
Well, that that really is the question because who we define as neighbor defines who we say is a brother. And if you, whether you're in Southern Oregon, whether you're in South Central LA, if you've been exposed to the gospel and Jesus Christ is your savior, savior, he just blew your box. He just blew your neighborhood up. You are a new creation. And so things near and far matter in a way that they've never mattered to you and me before, whether we live in small towns or big towns or wherever we come from, it is the gospel is that great equalizer. And so we're all in desperate need of a savior. And yet we're called to go on mission with him. And it leads us out of our little cul-de-sacs and puts us in places where we never thought we would be. Mine was a Marine Corps blew my box. I ended up in Paris Island, South Carolina at 16 and a half turned 17 in September. I was in Guam by Christmas. And my roommate was a kid from a little white kid from Danville, Indiana, and I promise you, singing <laughs> Hank Williams Jr. and spitting in a spittoon. <laughs> that was a cultural clash. Because at the time I was listening to Houdini, the freaks come out at night, you know. So we had a cultural exchange, end up becoming one of my best friends. And it just those type of and we've got to get ourselves away from people that are like us all the time and get involved in other relationships, go near and far, go out of our way even right. to build those relationships because then it creates the empathy. That's good. And you talked about uh, how once we join this new neighborhood, God's kingdom, uh, we can't care just about the people that look like us and act like us and grew up in the same church as us. and We can't care about them any more than we should be caring about you know, girls in the Philippines that are being sex trafficked. And how do we do that when the problems globally are just so overwhelming? And I mean, you you can so easily get kind of fatigued by trying to feel compassion for anything outside of just what's right in front of me right now. How do, how do we balance that of caring? I know, you know, it's, it's one of those things like I've been in ministry now over 25 years, most of my marriage, and um, you do get fatigued. You you do, whether it be the reconciliation movement, whether it be sex trafficking, or whether it's just ministry on a daily, weekly basis. It's a grind. It's human human beings. We're at the intersection where all humanity clashes, and we're bringing hope and restoration in that moment. And so for me, I really think that one of the ways that we can keep from being fatigued, I know it's going to sound like a Jesus juke, and I know it's going to sound like, you know, it's the, you know, the Christian colloquialism. I got it. But... It really is being renewed in the presence of the Lord. It really is prayer. It really is asking the Lord to renew, restore, resuscitate, revive, resurrect compassion and love in us when it begins to be diminished. And I know I need that. I do serve a white congregation, so there's a a level of fatigue of, like, I have to always be bicultural. Like, I have to always translate everything. Like, that gets tiresome. And so there's a place in me that wants to retreat and be alone and be isolated. And I still feel the Lord in those moments enveloping me with his love and his grace, restoring me, and then setting me back in place so that I can pour myself out as the proverbial drink offering. And so I, I would say great Sabbaths, great times in presence in the Lord daily, in fact, and uh, having some great friends yeah. that, that keeps my heart and the soil of my heart being turned over again and again. Yeah, it's good. So what do we do inside the church? Again, I'm thinking about all these things that coming from small town white America also often come up. Hope you don't mind all these questions. Come on, small town. Seriously, we've wanted to have so many of these conversations and stop short being like, I don't think we have any authority to really talk about these things. But one of the things that I've heard uh, some people talk about before is, you know, man, if just these certain groups of people, specifically in this conversation, if black Americans would stop 
acting like victims, yeah. then all of this would go ahead and be fixed. What would you say to somebody uh, that would say that, or maybe someone like me who's trying to communicate something different to those people? Ooh, that, that's a tough one because, you know, I had a friend of mine that um, kind of explained the black experience in America this way, like a game of Monopoly. So Monopoly starts at the beginning of the game. Everybody's given $1,500. And uh, you get to start and you roll the dice, you go around the board, you start buying property, doing things. And the African-American experience in, experience in America. So white Americans always think that when – People start getting it up in arms at a police shooting or an isolated. You guys sometimes see it as an isolated incident. We see it as a 200-plus-year journey of violence sure. in America. And so when when you start talking about us being victims and that type of things, it's like our culture was stripped from us. We didn't choose to be here. We were brought here. And then, oh, by the way, and I think it was 1865 at the end of the Civil War, it's like if you fight for us, we give you 40 acres and a mule. And then we didn't because <laughs> I'm still waiting on mine. <laughs> And so it's like now, okay, so go and be free. Okay, but we don't have anything. Everybody else has got $1,500 to start with. And so we've been playing catch up forever. The truth of the matter is, is it's a miracle that there isn't more violence. And I heard Mark Laberton from the president of Fuller University, somebody asked the question, did he think that, um, what did he think about the violence in America and in these black communities and that type of thing? And he literally blasted the guy, said, you know what? He did it in a loving way, but he said, I'm surprised there isn't more violence for all that the black community has suffered in America, that there isn't more outrage than what we see. And so the idea of, you know, if you're a victim, get over it. It's like, first of all, nobody's ever even sought to be reconciled or to restore. Yeah. Nobody said, I'm sorry yet. We're still waiting. You've, you've never seen a police chief say nationally, there's some things we need to look at about how we police these communities. People are being treated unfairly. Right. It's always dodge, always miss. Because if you ever admit it, then there could be legalities involved. So it's a whole that's a whole nother. We could have that conversation about victimization. We could definitely, but we <laughs> well, don't have enough time for it. Yeah, 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 no doubt. <laughs> well, no, but I have some strong feelings about it. For it sure. just makes even all the difference in the world to me. And I see a lot of this lens, you know, through through sports. I'm a big sports fan. I'm a big Seahawks fan. And a lot of the Seahawks were in the middle Ooh. of a lot of the uh, the protests here. I'm just going to ignore yeah. that. Yeah, I um, <laughs> see chickens. But uh, but. I got to say, I, I didn't even understand the beginning of it until Doug Baldwin, one of their wide receivers, stood up and, and people just said, somebody said, what do you want? And he said, first of all, I just want you to believe me. Yeah. I just want you to believe me that this is happening, that it's a real thing yeah. that we're dealing with. I don't, I don't want you to give up your houses. I don't want to get <laughs> you to give up your families. I don't right. want you to give up any of that stuff. I don't want to give up, you to give up your job. Right. I just want you to believe me. That's so true. And that just shook my world for sure. Yeah, because, I mean, the, the simple truth of the matter is is none of the things that we see in our culture are new. Like this, they, I saw a special on NWA because they were addressing these same things with NWA Ice Cube and, you know, all of those guys back in the day. They were addressing police violence in the neighborhood back then. And so it's just revisionist history. It has not been changed. And even the church has done these reconciliation movements where we wash feet and we sang songs and we apologize. And that's good. And that's a part. But the part we leave off is we don't then leave that place and then dismantle systems. Right that discriminate, oppress, keep people locked out. We keep saying I'm sorry, but we don't do we don't go and do justice yeah. the way God spoke. To Say me. sorry and then keep supporting policies and politics that systemically yes. keep the problem well and yes. alive. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And then the church supports candidates right. that 
you know, reinforced. So then it polarizes people of color. It's like, okay, so you, you know, I seen a picture where uh, underneath a banner that Jesus saves was a Ku Klux Klan rally. Yikes. So that still permeates in the minds and the psyche of people when they see people voting for policies and politicians and that type of thing that lock people, large groups of people out of the so-called American dream. So that that becomes the challenge. And then nobody listens. Right. And right. Wayne, you know, okay, well, this this person's against abortion. So even though they're a racist, we're going to turn a blind eye to that. So, you know, things things that are just absurd to me, yeah. like evil is evil, right? Mm-hmm. And, and the ability of the church uh, or the inability of the church to call that out, yeah. um, man, seems crazy. Preach. Yeah, preach it now. <laughs> but I love that this con- this conversation really translates to all the rest of it too. You talked about transgender. You talked about, uh, you talked about gay and lesbian couples and all this stuff. You know, really for me, because I-, I just didn't get it. It was always just all right. This is wrong, and I don't know why you're thinking this way. I don't know why you're talking this way. And really, I have to start now, and it's totally changed my life. Mm. Just listening. I just want to hear the stories now. I just want to yeah. hear the stories. I'm over trying to bring on some kind of righteousness into the conversation immediately, or self-righteousness, I should say, in my Come own on. heart. Come on. Um, and I really just, I want to hear the stories about people, what they're going through, what they see, and then actually make the decision to believe that what they are going through is a real thing that they've had to deal with. It changes you when you hear the stories, when you understand. You say, well, man, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Well, I don't have any legs. I right. never, never had any legs, so I don't know what bootstraps are. And so you start hearing these journeys of people in different, and that's why we have to get out of our cul-de-sac because it just reinforces our worldview and what we think about people. And then you meet Pablo Manuel, you meet somebody who's undocumented or a dreamer and it changes everything yeah, because right. now it's a person, not a political policy that we're trying to fix. Right. You're invested in a person and it changes everything. Yeah. I was, I was remembering, um, uh, one of our young guys here, uh, he called me late, late, late one night. His dad had gotten picked up. Uh, his dad's undocumented, gotten picked up, yeah. uh, put in jail, and now a, a few weeks after that was deported. Uh, oh. And when when you're facing that with somebody that you know and you love, and like you were talking about this morning with yeah. uh, your nephew who's yeah. uh, homosexual, brings his husband over, it isn't a category anymore. No. It's not a political issue anymore. It's a person that no. you love, that you care about. And now um, it's not so cut and dried yeah. about how we should feel yeah, it wasn't about, about a wall things. anymore right right it was about this dude's human. dad yeah this dude's dad it, yeah that was that was the first experience that i had with that it really was and i'm ashamed to say it mm-hmm. it really was just policies floating around in my mind that polit that politicians fought over until bam it became somebody's father yeah changed everything it changed everything for me in la because we have a church called nueva vida and so 50 to 60 percent of the church is undocumented and so, like, the earthquake in Mexico City struck me because that wasn't just an earthquake in another country. That was, like, relatives of the people in the church right. who were missing. So, like, we're, we're online trying to find people, Foursquare missionaries, so they can get word about their families. And then the immigration thing is a whole other thing because these are lives. These are people that I know and love and serve with and minister to, and they call me pastor. Yeah. So then it's more than a wall. Come on, man. It's more sure. border security. Do we need... Border security, do we need to fix the program? Yes, but not at the expense of people. That can't be – gospel people can't sign on for that, Yeah, right? Yeah, and that's – what I took away from this morning is we've got to be gospel people. We've got to be kingdom people. Got it. And everything else has to fall down before that, right? I mean, that has to be our creed and our motto and our nationality in the end. Yes. We are – Citizens, come on. 
walking in the gospel. And you got to put some money in the game. If if you can't stand the youth of America, you need to go serve at a youth camp for a weekend. It's going <laughs> right. to change your mind. If right. if you're sick of the homeless people or if you're sick of the drug addicts, I dare you to go serve with them for a day and all of a sudden they're going to become more than yeah. just needles and broken young kids that don't have dads, right. you know? Right. They they're going to become real people. They're going to become real names yeah. and faces in your mind and not just an idea anymore. That, there's no such thing as those people. They are us and we are them. Right. It's good. Know, so. right. Well, Keith, we got to let you go so you can go preach right, once man. again tonight. And uh, looking forward to listening to that again. Um, and I'm sure we'll have you back before too long because that's what we do when we like somebody. Four services. There ain't going to be no time soon. <laughs> and you can listen to Keith's message at westsidechurch.org and always check us out at behindthemessage.com. <laughs>